This is, by the way, going to have massive positive financial ramifications for the United States for decades to come. And, and, and I'm so pissed off that the news media has, does not recognize this. Welcome to the Investor Shed Podcast with Nick Beveridge, the ultimate source for all things investing and beyond. For free tools, tips, and tricks, go to NorthIdahoREI.com. All right, Kevin. Hey, thanks for being here. So I, I don't know if you uh, know my story or anything, but um, I kind of modeled my entire business off of you and an audio clip that I heard that you did with Gary Keller um, back in 2015. Um, well, I'm not sure when you did it, but I remember listening to it like right at the beginning of the year in 2015. And I, um, do, do you recall that audio that you did with him or that um, phone call? Yeah, I did, a, I, did a, I did a couple interviews with Gary. I did one on Agent Mountain. Uh, and I think in 2014, I was at uh, Mega Camp on stage with Gary. Um, but yeah, basically my entire business has been uh, providing real estate investor education and free seminars. Yeah, so it was, so it was the one on Agent Mountain. So um, I, I'm going to assume I'm probably the guy that probably listened to that audio the most out of any agent in our company. Um, I listened to it probably five times a day for a solid three months. <laughs> it was kind <laughs> well, of obsessive. Um I was well, congratulations. Uh, I, was, uh, I look forward to the student becoming the master. Yeah. Well, so I was at that at that point in my career, I was four years in and um, I wasn't I wasn't doing that well. I was like, I think my GCI that year was like 40,000 bucks. Um, and I was just kind of sick of being fake. And I had just started finally investing in real estate like I wanted to do all my life. And I, I had one flip under my belt and I was working on a second. And when I heard that audio, I was just like, holy shit, this guy's, this guy's a genius. I'm going to just do what he's doing. <laughs> um, and it just so happened that I was, I was going to this, um, this real estate seminar event the first Thursday of each month in Spokane. And it was run by kind of a, like a con artist. <laughs> and and most of them are. Shut his, yeah. And he eventually, he eventually uh, had his shop closed down and I decided to take that time, that time spot and. Um, and just kind of copied what you did, but, um, yeah, if you don't mind sharing, um, so what, um, what first got you interested in real estate, if you don't mind going way back, uh, and just kind of sharing your, your story. So this is going to be funny, but, um, my real estate adventure began a long time ago when I was a pipe fitter. So I spent many years working on, uh, what is, uh, affectionately known as the North slope, which is a area of Alaska way up in the Arctic circle. Uh, it's the land of, uh, you know, uh, milk and honey. It's, uh, just lots of, lots of money. You work, you work 80 to, you know, 96 hours a week for three weeks on, and then you come home, have three weeks off. And so I was doing very well. I was doing shift work. Um, the typically guys who work on the slope, you know, it's easy for them to make 120, $140,000 a year, only working six months out of the year, but it does cost your soul because when you're away from your family that much, you know, and then. It's uh, it really weighs on you. So I've been looking for a way to get off the slope. And one thing I had noticed is being a pipe fitter, and I didn't just work on the slope. I also, when I was off the slope, was being subcontracted to work on military bases and different stuff. I was a special hazard fire protection contractor, so it's a different different area of uh, pipe fitters. But there was always these guys that were dressed really clean and wore the blue hard hats on the job site, right? And you could tell that, you know, you could yeah. tell that these guys uh, were made of money. And I would look at them and say, you know, they're paying me $42 an hour plus benefits and I'm making really good money. What are they making? Because they do not look like they're hurting. They, they're, they, I can tell that their meniscus is good. Their L5 is good. They haven't had rotator cuff surgeries. And all around me, guys are laid up. Years of being a pipe fitter, it's hard on your body. Um, it's good money. But, you know, it just dawned on me the most money I would ever make is how much money they were willing to pay me. And those guys down there, the guy on the ground while I'm up on the lift. They're doing they're doing something different. So I started researching real estate as an investment. Um, started compiling information, and um, you know, bought an unfinished house, um, you know, with an intention of maybe uh, you know uh, finishing it and making some equity after living in it for two years. And it's funny because I kind of became an accidental real estate investor. I mean, I knew I wanted to invest in real estate, but I never, I didn't have any idea what the potential was at the time. Really. 
you know, there was the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book out. There was some Carlton Sheet stuff, but not to the degree of the education that you now have online. Because at this time, YouTube and the Internet did not exist. OK, this was this is this is before any of that. This is you want to learn something. You're going down to a used bookstore. You're trying to find something. But I base so I and, and what's funny is here's what catapulted it is I had actually gone to a garage sale and found a Anthony Robbins, a Tony Robbins personal power cassette tape that had like eight cassette tapes. And I took it with me on the slope one shift, three weeks. And while I was working, I put in my little Walkman. That's how old I am. <laughs> put in my Walkman, little tape cassettes. And I listened to those and I started journaling. And when I started journaling and writing down goals and saying, this is what I want to do. That's when I will tell you my life significantly changed. Okay. That's when everything that I was planning to do with real estate and have very definitive two, five, seven, 10 year goals. And then what is the one thing I can do today that is going to bring me closer to those goals? That's when the whole game changed. Listen, I knew I wanted to invest in real estate, but it was that Tony Robbins personal power tape that actually lit the fuse to that rocket that put me where I am today. How old were you at that time? Probably early thirties. Okay, cool. Yeah, my my next big point in life. I'm looking for that Denny's discount. You know, when I hit 55, <laughs> that's my next thing. The senior slam for 15 percent off. That's what I'm shooting for. But <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of the the people that are listening to your podcast, you know, they think that they're 30 or they're 40 and they can't do it. And I'm here to tell you, you absolutely can. Um, I went through a divorce and uh, I lost almost everything um, when I was. Uh, 37, 38, and uh, rebuilt it. Listen, it's a lot easier to rebuild the second time, even faster. So, I mean, I'm here to tell you it's never too late to start. Don't ever get discouraged. You you might see stuff out there about the discrepancy in wealth, and they say, oh, you know, uh, there's a income gap. Well, you know, there always will be. If two people leave the starting line at the same point, and one person is running and the other is walking, well, then the answer is you, the guy who's walking, start running. It's not too late for you. Don't be discouraged because you see someone else who has more. Believe me, there's so much opportunity in this world. It is wildly profound. Four and a half years now, I've been doing this investor club and I'll see people that are brand new at real estate. They don't know what they're doing and they stumble into it. And a year and a half later, they're a millionaire. I mean, I've seen it three or four times. It's, it's pretty insane. And like age really doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah, well, you're right. It is attitude. It is being, it's being a voracious problem solver. Uh, and it and it's surrounding yourself with a really high caliber uh, level of individual. Our, our parents always told us be cognizant of who you surround yourself with and don't you know you know get bad influence. But that happens in life. I mean, a lot of I listen. I, there's a lot of people I like, but their standards in life are not my standards where I want my life to be. And I can like you and just choose not to hang out with you drinking too much beer or doing something that's not productive. I mean, you got to instinctively, you got to realize that who you choose to surround yourself with and who you choose to establish your impressions and your goals is huge. I mean, that's affects your subconscious and basically where you focus. You, sur- you should be surrounding yourself with successful problem solvers, people who are also wildly optimistic and who look around for a world of opportunities and are passionate about it. And that's that's part of investing. You say you want to save your money, you work your time up, you want to invest. You say you want to invest wisely in stocks. Well, invest your time wisely in people who matter. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So so tell me, could you tell me about your first deal and how you got into it and um, where you were and um Yeah, my what, first deal is ridiculous. Like my first investor deal or my first like real estate deal? There's a bunch of first deals that had pivotal pivotal points. Your your first deal as a as an investor. My first deal as an investor was I bought a single family house that was unfinished. Uh, at the time, they had a uh, there was a, a first time home buyer program here in Anchorage that allowed you. And there was a builder that was building houses, and he was basically only finishing the first bedroom, bathroom, and the garage, like a thousand square feet. There's another fifteen hundred square feet on the second floor that was unfinished. So I bought one of these unfinished houses. I went in, I fixed it up, I made it nice. My intention was to turn around and sell it and, you know, make a good forty, fifty thousand dollars But then I discovered that there was a big section of land behind the property that was owned by the municipality of Anchorage that was a right-of-way for a street project that never went in. So I just went and hired a – I went down to Muni and said, hey, you guys got all this land behind me that nobody's using. Uh, people are dumping trash on it. Uh, what's your plan for it? They said, we have no plans. That's an abandoned road project. And I said, well, I want that property. And they said, well, fill out this application. So I filled out the application. I had to get a new as-built. I paid 250 bucks. I filed it and I took a property with a 5,000 square foot lot to a 16,000 square foot lot. And uh, then I, uh, and then, 
a GCI guy, GCI is a general communications inc. It's like a cable company. Cable company was doing some cable work on the edge of the property. And I said, Hey man, I got this lot here. Like I'm a new owner of the 16,000 square foot lot. Um, I want you to back drag and clear it. And he goes, can't do that. We're not allowed to go outside the easement. And I said, well, okay. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to leave this uh, 24 pack of beer here and uh, I'm going to forget about it. And if I come back and the beer's gone, but the lot's cleared, I'll be so happy the lot's cleared. I will, I'll totally just, you know, have no, forget about the beer. And he just, he, he smiled and he laughed and I went away. I left 24 pack, uh, I think of Miller Lite on the, came back and the guy leveled and cleared my entire lot. So, um, so then he cleared it. I, uh, went to a job site and I saw these guys doing some excavation work, a building site down the road, and they were clearing some fill for houses. It was really good peat. And I said, Hey, what are you doing? He goes, we're clearing spots for houses. Hey, I tell you what, you've got a couple dump trucks of uh, soil here. Good for a lot. If I give you a pack of beer, would you dump the stuff? So basically, <laughs> I used beer. I just drove around and found construction guys doing work and said, hey, if you dump that dirt over there, I'll give you a pack. And it cost me about three cases of beer, but I took all uh, 12,000 square feet or more of that. Lot of, what was it? it? 11,000 square feet of just vacant land and had it cleared, topsoil, packed, leveled, and hydro-seeded. And turned it into a giant yard, and that was huge because instead of making like forty fifty, I made end up making two years later like two hundred and something thousand on that house. Wow! And can you can you clarify again what you bought that city lot for? Oh man, it was two hundred fifty bucks. It was a oh, filing so it's just the fee. application fee. Yeah, the application. And fee. then they're just um, like, here's your, and you can just have this. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. But that they would do that back in the nineties. You know, they caught on. They were like, that was too easy. And that was to me, that was like, like if this is just this one deal. So yeah. then it was sold that, bought another property. It kind of went up and I started, that was the, that, that to me was like, this is awesome. Because remember, this is my primary residence and I happen to be married. So that was tax free game. Wow. So that's when I said, well, this is like, that was my epiphany. This is where, okay, well, how am I going to make this happen? And that's when I said, okay, well, and then, and then I didn't learn till later, but you know, I should have never sold that house. I could have refied it, done a cash out, kept it, rented it, uh, gone and invested. I mean, but. You know, nobody was telling you this. Nobody was telling you house hacking strategies back then. You just, what you did is you found out later, what? I didn't have to sell that. Then why did I? And that's, that's how you learned. How did you, how did you get your like uh, real estate investing education back then? Did you listen to any books or did you just kind of learn? I read everything. I read everything. And then I started running numbers because the language of business is numbers. So I have three engineering degrees from fire protection. Uh, and from slope work. And so uh, one of them being hydraulics. And listen, the numbers have to make sense. So the first thing I started doing was I started running the numbers on everything to where I could look at something, I could walk it, and I could I could tell you what that's going to rent out for. I just tried to immerse myself in it. Every weekend I was driving, looking at properties. This is before I had a real estate license. Um, eventually it dawned on me that if I was really going to catapult my business, I had to get a real estate license and become a licensed real estate sales professional just because I wanted to be on the inside. I wanted to see the MLS deals. I wanted to, I wanted to know where it was. Little did I know how much a, what a licensed real estate professional can do. That's totally, uh, that's, that can't be touched by anybody in the private sector. Um, just because we're licensed so we can use our commission for down payment and different things, that that I want to pause you right there. You said you know to use the yeah, no payment. Um, I'm I'm closing on a property tomorrow, a little ski cabin right by uh, Ski Mountain Resort, and it, it's going to be a second home loan. I need ten percent down. So in my offer, I was able to get them down a little bit and get a ten percent commission paid to my buyer's broker and get them to cover my closing costs. So yeah, I'm going in with ten percent down, but I'm going to get it back the same day or the next day. And it's a conventional loan and a normal person can't do that. No, no, no. It's even better. Here's an example. I took a sixplex and had a seller who wanted to sell it. He desperately wanted out. And I said, okay, well, I negotiated a deal for a, to where my commission was going to be used for a down payment. And I went in and I, and one of the things I do is I rehab and flip properties. I went in and combined two units, uh, combined four units into two, basically turned it into a fourplex financed it as a fourplex and then after closing converted it back into a sixplex. <laughs> so, I mean, 
like when you start getting creative and you realize like what you can do with your, and, and then not only that, but so I bought a sixplex for zero money out of pocket because I had the commission as my down payment. And then I just converted into a fourplex where I got really favorable terms on it. So um, like when you, when you start getting down the road of creative financing and how you can make this work, it'll just blow your mind. Like uh, of, of my, of my, uh, I think it went up to, t I think it went 10 properties now. I'd have to get a spreadsheet and look at them. I only have one that's bank finance. The rest are all seller finance. And you know, that, that when I, when I discovered that, you know, for like the real estate industry and uh, you know, just there is a different world that investors um, know of that most people don't. So what's the reason for that? Are, are most of them commercial properties or are there just a lot of people in your area that are comfortable with seller financing or are you just really good at pitching? It's not pitching. It's, it's explaining what is the benefit to you? Yeah. What is your concern and how do I resolve those issues? Listen, it's first off, most people don't think it's possible because so they don't ask. Okay. And they also don't talk to the seller to find out what's important to the seller. I mean, in some of these cases where it's a distressed property, and I like distressed properties. I want properties that, listen, if it's beautiful and perfect and needs no work, like the only direction for it to go is to, to go downhill. So I like properties, you know, I come from construction. So I don't look at anything and say, well, that's, you know, I just look at, oh, I can fix that. So I can fix that. So normally I find yeah. properties that have been, been professionally managed by bad property managers. They're distressed. They need lots of work. I go in, I buy them, um, and basically I, the conversation I have with the seller is, do you want money or do you want out? Listen, this property is costing you three or $4,000 a month to own, and it has deferred maintenance, so the value of it is way, way down low anyway. So you understand if, I, if we try to sell this thing, you're going to get beat up by the market because you know it's hot garbage, and you've got a high vacancy, and on a commercial loan, if anything's more than 10% vacant, you're going to struggle to get a commercial loan on it anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. High vacancies. You got a high history of vacancy. You good luck getting a loan. Okay. So you got a property that may not be financeable. That's costing you three or four thousand dollars a month, and it needs sixty to eighty thousand dollars worth of repairs in it just to get it up and then fill vacancies. Do you want money or do you want out? And they'll look at it and go, you know what? Just get me out of this thing. So great. What are the terms on your loan? And then all there's about a dozen different ways you can wrap a mortgage. You can do joint LLCs. You can do this. I can I can lease the property with an option, which becomes I come a tenant by entirety. There's all kinds of different ways. Listen, here's this. Here's the thing. You don't need to own the real estate. You just have to control. It. Right. And as long as you control it, then you control the cash flow it can generate. So just out of curiosity, um, so most of your deals are seller finance, and then obviously a lot of your properties that you're buying are deferred. So the renovation part of your uh, expenses, do you just cover that with your own cash? I actually had one that I took over seller finance and I got paid $15,000 to take it over because they had a reserve maintenance account that they were using. But the property manager they hired was just using the money to hire people at $90 an hour plus charging property management fees. So 15 grand wasn't going very far. So when I took over the property, I said, listen, I'm going to take this over, but you have this reserve account over here. It's mine. So I'm taking over all your payments. I'm taking it like I'm, I'm, I'm firing your property manager. I'm kicking all your contractors off the property. And the 15 grand you have sitting in that account, you're giving it to me. But generally speaking, I'm at a point in my business now to where when I sell real estate, 100% of the money I make in commissions just goes into my properties. I mean, you know, my yeah. properties basically, if you think about it, my properties are ATM machines that just pump money out. Okay. And so I go and do other things that make money. And then the money that I make through my labor goes into making my ATM machines produce that much more money. So I, I do not take commission dollars from the sales of real estate as a real estate professional and, and go buy a snow machine with it or a new mountain bike or a trip to Hawaii. That is forbidden. I go invest 100% of my sales earnings into my income properties. And then those are what used to pay for all the, all the fun stuff. Gotcha. So your basic living expenses, is that mostly covered with your uh, cash flow or do you have other streams of income? Oh, no, cash flow. No, no. So I own about seven different businesses. So um, that's the difference between also thinking like an investor and an entrepreneur and thinking like a consumer, right? You surround yourself with voracious problem solvers and start, you know, you should have multiple streams of income. Yes, I have rental properties and I have a rental property business. I also have a, a Northwest corporate housing to short-term uh, does uh, Airbnbs. I have a contracting company that does remodels. 
Um, I'm actually in negotiations now on a commercial lease to buy a laundromat. Um, uh, I do hotel development, um, venture capital and raising money. I mean, find a problem and solve big problems. So I think the biggest difference, I think, as far as a mindset is that, you know, what I learned from the Tony Robbins cassette tape a long time ago is this. If you're just a wildly optimistic problem solver and the bigger problem you can solve, the more money you make. Like every day I wake up, it's like, what is the biggest problem I can help solve today? Because I know that people pay lots of money for that. That's why a guy who, you know, sells shoes makes less money than a pediatric surgeon. Okay. The guy who operates on babies is solving big problems. The guy who fits shoes is solving small problems, thus the pay discrepancy. Oh yeah. So go find and solve huge problems. I just choose to do it all in real estate. So could you could we go back in time again and talk about when you first got your real estate license and how that went yep. your first year? Oh yeah, it was scary. I first got my real estate license. Nobody I knew wanted to do business with. Okay. <laughs> and when, when that's how that went. When was this? Uh two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Okay. I had I had that same problem for the first three years. <laughs> so here's what I did. That's where the seminars came in. Because, uh, listen, I knew I, I was already a real estate investor. I had a, a decent education surrounding it and some small level of success. And it, I was passionate about it. And this is what dawned on me. Okay. This is, this is how my mind wrapped around this is they kept telling you at the brokerage I was at, and I originally got into the business. I joined a Keller Williams um, and loved it. Great market, great education. Okay. And what they would tell you is that your job is to make appointments and meet with people and have conversations regarding real estate. Okay. And then I just sat down and I just did the math. How many appointments could I realistically have a day, meaningful conversations with someone about real estate or real estate investing and still get the rest of the stuff I need to do done? And it was like two. I could probably, cause I spent about an hour and a half with my clients. So that's three hours of meeting with clients, getting really in deep, having meaningful conversations and that only leaves me another four to five hours to negotiate contracts and do whatever it is. Plus, I got to do open houses. So I'm like, two people a day, if I'm, if it's my A game, that's 10 people yeah. a week. That's 40 people a month. And if I can do 40 people a month, that's awesome. Then I said, well, why don't I just hold a class on real estate investing? And instead of getting 40 people, I'll shoot for 80 to 100. And rather than do one, why don't I just go meet with 80 people for two hours, have deep, meaningful conversations about real estate, and then do it every month. And I can have way more conversations because you guys know that there's like a there's like a 90-10 rule, right? And that is out of 10 people, maybe one of them is going to be a serious investor. Nine of them are there for what I call realtortainment or just their finances work in position. Oh, yeah. The problem is if you're spending an hour, an hour and a half with everybody just to find out if they're an A buyer or an A seller, if they're able to do anything, you're going to your ROI on your time goes way down. So the seminars just were just like, oh, this is leverage. This is leverage, period. And from that, I can real quickly discern if they're in a position. Hey, do you have any assets? Do you have a job? Like, and then I'm only I'm only meeting with my, my time. Basically, you have to qualify to meet with me. Right. Right. So at that, at that point, I got into my business to where, no, nah, you know what I mean? You, you're like, you don't waste Kevin Cross's time. So well said. My, col- my caliber, well, you wouldn't go to your doctor just to talk, just to BS him. You only go to him if you're seriously got an issue. Yeah. And it gave me the ability to distinguish myself. Um, because when I first got into business, none of, nobody I knew thought of me as the real estate professional that they could trust. And thus, I had to recreate new relationships. And the seminars were the fastest way to become a professional. Like, because people show up and they listen to you speak and talk coherently about a subject. Then they walk out of there going, gosh, that was really impressive. I can't wait to either come back next week with a friend or this is the guy I need to know. So what, um, before you started the seminars, could you give me an idea? What what gave you the idea in the first place? And were you nervous at all when you first did it? Well, I wasn't necessarily nervous. You just got to understand my, I'm, 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 on your disc profile, I'm all DNI. I have no SC. It's like it drops off on I think I'm negative in the on the S. So <laughs> I'm like literally asterisked if you know what those are. Yeah. So I'm all like 100%. Don't waste my time and like and like and listen to what I have to say. I'm gonna love it. So for me, the public speaking part was never a fear. Um, I had a history. In fact, I was a I, I was an instructor when I was a pipe fitter way back when. I used to be a, a Sunday school teacher. Um, in high school, uh, I think I ran for and went for class president and did the newspaper. So, like, I've always been 
I've never been afraid in front of clients, crowds. That's never been an issue. Just what made me think of seminars was just the whole leverage part. And listen, it, like the thought of just meeting with one-on-one indefinitely was exhausting. And and two, I love to teach. I love to teach. Yeah. So to me, this was like starting my own school. So how long were you doing that until you started growing a team? And what what did that look like? Well, first off, I got into the real estate business and in uh, and the REC seminars, I almost did almost immediately. My first transaction was a list sale on a fourplex for $500,000 and I got paid 5%. So I made $25,000 in my first 45 days in business. I literally, this is what it looked like. I got my real estate license and I'm like, well, nobody that I know does business with me. So I grabbed, I went to Costco, I bought a bunch of muffins and I went to every place that I did business with. One of them was an auto mechanics place that fixed vehicles. And I went in there and I said, you know what? You guys rock. I love the way you take care of my truck. I can always trust you. I know that nobody appreciates auto mechanics, but I appreciate you. Here's some muffins. If there's anything I can do to help you guys be successful in real estate, because that's what I do, I got your back. You guys kick ass. And that was it. And I just went and visited a business. I'd go hit job sites, construction sites. Hey, I was a pipe fitter. Well, anyway, the, the, you know, and I would just go back to the sphere I used to be and just say, listen, I appreciate you. You guys are awesome. And if there's anything I can do to help you out, if you're ever in a pinch, just call me. That was my whole marketing strategy. And like right out of the gate, my first week in the business, I stopped by one of my mechanics place and the guy had just inherited like $200,000. And he's like, well, actually, I'm looking for a fourplex. And I go, well, just I happen to know a lot about investment properties. And he's like, well, find me a property near me. And I said, okay, uh, where do you live? And then I did, a, I did a search of all listings within a mile of his house and found an expired fourplex from five years previous and called the guy out of the blue and said, hey, I see you tried to sell this property five years ago. Any chance you still want to sell it? And he goes, so funny you should call because I'm looking to move out of state. And I was just thinking about calling a realtor. So I said, well, great. Walked the guy through it, $2,200,000 down, conventional loan, closed in like 30 days, no brainer, 5% commission. And I was like, 45 days in the business and get a paycheck for 25 grand. And that, that'll light a fire under your butt. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm doing more of this right now. Yeah, this works. I'm so, saying this business. Was, yeah. <laughs> so, well, and what's funny is, here's the, so here, I'll tell you the funny thing. When I called that seller, it was an accident. See, I didn't know how to work the MLS. Nobody told me. I didn't understand how to do active and pass searches or whatever. So when I did a search of a neighborhood, it brought up everything, canceled, expired. And I just saw the list of the property and it looked like a good match. And then I, you know, did a look the guy up in the phone book. I didn't know that, like at the time, I didn't even understand that this was an expired listing. I had to go to someone and say, hey, I've got a buyer that wants to buy this property. How do I get hold of the realtor? And they're like, well, that was like from five years ago. What You don't need that. I just didn't <laughs> yeah. know. And I was too stupid to be scared. Yeah. Okay. So I was just like, oh, I don't care. That's I'll a just great call quality um, <laughs> in this at, business. <laughs> it was like, well, you know. And, and so I just wasn't afraid to ask. And I, and after that, like, that's where everything changed because then I was like, you know what? Uh, that's when I started realizing that investors have a higher price point. I can, I'd rather do three transactions and make a, and sell a million than do five transactions and sell a million. It's just every transaction takes time. Plus I'm love investors. And so like it just it grew. So as, as I got into real estate sales, I had no intention of starting a team. That wasn't it at all. But then I discovered that there's certain things I hate doing. And so I hired my first transaction coordinator slash admin six months in the business. In six months in the business, uh, I, had, I had already accumulated like 10 listings. And I think I was pending around two or three a month. My first year in the business, I did $11 million in sales. That's that's not bad. By myself and one, one part-time assistant. Well, I was in a market where the average sales price was $250,000. But when you do fourplexes and fiveplexes and you just seek out investors, well, their average sales price is closer to like 475, 500. And I was contacting expired listings with investors from my investment club and going, hey, are you still interested in selling? And then I was presenting market, I was presenting listings, I'd get a non-MLS agreement, and I was presenting these listings directly to a group of hand-picked investors going, I got deals no one else has. You can't find them on the MLS. So then I was list selling most of mine. So to this date, a majority of my sales are non-market. Listen, I've been teaching, doing real estate seminars for 13, 14 mm-hmm. years. Or what are we at now? 12, whatever it is, 11, 12 years, whatever that looks like. When did you start? But 2007? Gosh, 
Yeah, 2007, 2008, you know, right in there, right when I got into the business. It okay. might have been going on 13 years. Now. I have to go back yeah. and check. It's going on 13 years of doing seminars. I have enough people that when, you know, my guys I sold properties to, they call me first going, Kevin, I'm thinking about selling this. I go, send me your send me your cash flow. Send me your rent rolls. I run the numbers on it. Here's what it's worth. You interested? Yep. All right. Here, sign this, uh, you know, exclusive one party listing or whatever that looks like. You give me 30 days to sell it non-MLS. And if I can't sell it in 30 days to somebody within the club, then we'll list it. And I'll go out and I'll just, and you know, make sure that I'm in compliance with our MLS and all the rules. And I shoot it out for 30 days. Most of the time, listen, I've got guys, I've taught seminars. They know who I am. Uh, I can sell them. If it's a decent investment, I just sell it before it ever hits the market. And you can say, well, you're not doing the best for your seller. You're, no, you're like, I know what things are going to appraise for. I'm selling two, At one point, I was selling 200 investment properties a year. I can tell you within a half a percent what that thing's going to sell for. I know what the appraisal is going to come back at. I'm Generally, the appraisers are calling me, asking me, hey, Kev, how did you get the comps? My phone blows up every week with an appraiser asking me questions. I know what that's probably going to go for. And so, listen, if I can do it for less and sell it quick and not hassle the tenants, you know, that's one thing most people don't realize when you sell an investment property, tenants get all weird, right? When they find out that ownership's about to change, they start to cry and stuff. And a lot of sellers, listen, don't rock the boat. There's a big value in not rocking the boat with those tenants. They can sell it without the tenants ever know. And just suddenly there's a new place to pay rent. That has huge value because the minute they see a for sale sign, they get all squeamish and they get all crazy and they start like something hits the air, right? So there's a lot of benefit. And, and there's a good reason for them to get scared because a lot of the times they get asked to move out, at least in my area. I get it. Yeah, they do. It's just an owner-occupied investor, fourplex or under, then they're like, am I next? But I will tell you that was another thing. I attend every one of my inspections on my apartment buildings because I am meeting every one of those tenants and shaking their hand and going, you know what? You seem like you really take good care. You seem like you're a great tenant. Have you ever thought about being your own landlord? Oh, I could never do it. I think, you know what? I've been investing in real estate for over 20 years. I'm here to tell you that you never know what you're capable of until you check, until you find out and you ask. When do you have 45 minutes that I can show you how to become an independent real estate investor? Yeah. It's never too late to start running. And then, right, pull the t- and then it, 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 you know what? Fantastic. I've daisy-chained multiple deals. Fourplex owner buys it, goes to owner-occupied, tenant gets displaced, I sell that tenant an investment property. He buys another investment property, another tenant gets in place, displaced, I, buy, I found that tenant a property. Most most people who are stuck in that rat race of being tenants, or no one's taking the time to show them how they can manipulate their credit, how they can uh, how they can get their money back. Uh, you know that you can use on an FHA loan, use gift funds in order to come up with a down payment, and like all the different ways that you can manipulate. Uh, you know, this it's not even manipulate; it's just that they don't know how the game's played. No one ever taught them. So when you started out your real estate team. Did your, did your business start becoming more complicated, less complicated? Did you start working harder or less? Um, what, what did that look like? Yes, complications. So here's, here's what that looks like. Building a real estate team, the sound is better than the reality. So I, I got big and then I got small. And let me t- explain that to you. I built a huge team. At one point, I had a late 11 agents. One year, we did $80 million in sales. And you know, you, I'm, you're constantly playing whack-a-mole with problems, Okay. Um, I built a team and then uh, last year I actually sold my team and then I went back and I just kept my sphere. I've been in the business so long now that I have a hand, I I have my group of individuals that just call me and say, hey, Kev, let's do a deal or here's what we got. But it's a different caliber. I'm rarely selling, I sell condos because someone, or a small property because I'm not going to leave that money on the table. But most of my deals now are over, like I've been in this business enough time and worked with enough investors over a decade. I'm, I'm doing multiple deals in the millions. Yeah. I've got three LOIs going out today and not one of them is under 1.5 million. So I got three offers going out today and one of the properties is $30 million. Okay. So uh, it's a hotel. So I, I've, yeah. I've grown beyond the fourplex, but see, you can do that in investment properties. Whatever you focus on expands, right? They tell you that uh, one of your brokerages here, you know, Keller Williams, whatever you focus on expands. Well, if you focus on investors, investors are looking to expand. If you focus on $100,000 condo owners, you will forever be selling $100,000 condos. Those are not individuals that are looking to build million-dollar companies. Have you ever played that board game, Cash Flow? Long time ago. Okay, I feel like you're on the fast track. And um, maybe having a real estate team 
maybe is just a, a distraction. The real estate team was a distraction. I, is that accurate? Well, yes. So here's here's my thought on real estate teams. Okay, they're good in certain markets. My market may be less powerful. I mean, it just depends on. It also depends on what you want your life to look like. Listen, I love I love my freedom. I love the freedom of my time. I love dictating. I love you know checking and I and you know I like I said I got forty five units. I self manage my own properties. I like having, I'm a hands-on guy when it comes to solving problems. For me, a real estate team kind of changed over the years. And I think it's, you know, I don't know where the industry is going to end up, but I, I suspect it's going to get very, very expensive for people on teams. And what I mean by that is that you have to understand that we used to own our data. Okay. As a real estate industry, we owned our data. And just like me working with investors, I have tools, tricks, and ways, and I know things that the that that other individuals don't know, and therefore I have a unique value. Well, the National Association of Realtors gave up all that information in 2014, okay? When they allowed the sale of Realtor.com and everything to whatever it was, News Vista or whatever that company was. And they said, here's all our data and everything we've amassed and all our proprietary information. And then they took it and gave it to Zillow. You don't own your information anymore. Our MLSs and the NAR betrayed us. So now that you don't own that information, okay, and it is all just out there for anybody to take, you are you have been reduced to a service. If you're just doing residential sales or, or to simple stuff, you've been reduced to a service-based industry. And I don't know if you've noticed, but a service-based industry means you're just processing. This is the same thing that happened to big screen or flat screen TVs, right? So what had happened? Well, it used to be it was $3,000 for a flat screen TV, you know, 5000 But then the technology, after time, they no longer own the tech. It gets marginalized. All the companies pick it up. They mass produce it. It comes down to providing service. You can buy a 65-inch flat screen TV for $299. Yeah. The same thing is happening in the real estate industry with Redfin and stuff. So here's what I say. You, the, the teams and stuff that are just internet leads and treating people like transactions, you're doomed and you don't even know it. It is time to build a bunker around your business. And for me, helping investors, doing find, creative problem solving, helping them solve tenant issues, helping them find deals and run numbers or find opportunities where none exist. You know, and building a phenomenal relationship with the individuals in the process of doing it is something Zillow can't compete with. They can't. No, never. So uh, I'm I'm solid in my business because my business is different, and I also understand because of that I am going to I'm going to build a real estate empire. So if it ever does become so frustrating, I want to do it. I have enough money being made in passive income. I can just walk away from the industry at any given time. I don't need to sell real estate anymore. I'm making enough money for my apartment buildings. I could just say I'm out of here. Now, is the real estate agent sales team much different from your other businesses? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A real estate sales team is completely different. You are basically there to provide leadership, accountability, and training. Okay? And if they don't perform, you're covering their expenses. Okay? So it gets yeah. it's, it gets sticky. Now, I'm also president and broker of a broker now, and I love that. Now this is like running a team, but if you don't perform, that's on you. I'm not paying for it. A little different. It's also interesting yeah. that when you're growing a team, you got to be real careful because it's hard to attract people who can run when you're selling crutches. And what I mean by that is, um, if you're offering to do everything and you say, "Hey, we'll cover and we'll like you make it and you you make it a real easy," then the truth is, uh, really high performers like a little bit of a challenge. They don't want you to do everything for them. And oftentimes, we think that's what it's, it takes offering them the world in order to get great producers, but it doesn't. In fact, if you as a team, you're offering to do everything for them, you're offering the world, you're probably going to attract the people that you don't want. What you want is you want to attract the individuals just by saying, we have really high standards and I'm holding you up like this is what you're going to have to do. And if you can't do it, well, then you don't fit in here. Sorry that your standards in life are so low that you can't perform here. Now, I tell you what, guys who like to race, they're going to love that. Okay, They're going to say, oh, really? And then you don't ever limit their potential. You don't ever tell anybody, well, you're just a buyer's agent. You're going to say, what do you want to do? You want to work with buyers and sellers and do investors? The world is your oyster. I'm just here to help you open it. Gotcha. And so there are, there are distinctive ways of which you attract talent within your environment. And I did it for a long time and loved it. And then I got to a point to where, to be honest with you, I was making more money from passive income from my investment properties than I was selling real estate. And at that point, your motivation changes. When you invest long enough and you start seeing substantial mailbox money, believe me, your perspective, your everything changes. Yeah. Oh, what one more thing. So before we move on, if you have enough time, yeah, um, absolutely. I, since 
you were with Keller Williams at the time. Yeah. And if I remember us talking, we, we spoke on the phone like four or five years ago, but um, we talked about profit share briefly. And you, you told me that you were able to build a pretty good profit share. Is that, is that still the case? Four years in a row, I was growth partnership for our brokerage, which means I recruited more people. We had a brokerage of 440 people for four years in a row. I was recruiting on average anywhere from 12 to 14 people a year. Nice. Okay. And um, since then, so, and then you'd left Keller Williams, what, a year or two ago? And you, yeah. um, are you still, and you're still getting profit share, right? I am. And it's, it's, and it's decent. I mean, I won't ever, like, you want to, if you want to mail me a check, I will never tell you no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it was okay. But I mean, but I left to go to primarily a commercial brokerage, uh, investment focused brokerage, and understand that I was an investor who happened to be in real estate sales, not the other way around. Yeah, it was always about investing first, and then always. you got your license to make it the easier. Sales to me has always been a distraction. It was a necessary step in order to build a real estate empire. So that was the one thing on my team that was expressly when I built a team, and that was probably the reason I grew a big team and why I had so many. Because I told them, if you're not looking to actively invest, you don't belong here. Go work on another team and go be mediocre somewhere else. But if you are not looking to take the best deals and figure out how to buy them, then you and I probably are we're on different playing fields. So I intentionally went out and recruited a team of people who were basically, you know, which is awkward because you're looking at people's productivity and you may have a guy on your team who hasn't sold a house in three months, but he's bought two. Right. So, yeah. okay. I mean, yeah. All right. High five. Yeah, okay. yeah. I didn't make a whole lot of money, but I mean, I mean, as a team owner, I didn't make a whole lot of money, but you know what? Good for you, buddy. Yeah. So a little different environment. Um, uh, I know that my, my current assistant who works for me, uh, she'd been in real estate for about five years and had been struggling to kind of buy a property and, you know, cause finances when you're a real estate salespeople is tricky, you know, uh, good year, bad year, different expenses, hard to do. And so, you know, getting mortgages is a little difficult. Uh, she was with me less than 10 days and I found her a seller finance duplex and she boom closed. So she bought a, she was like, I didn't, like, I never thought this was possible. And I go, that's because the industry doesn't normally teach you. You know, it's, it's not, in, it's not intentional, but the education generally being taught by most brokerages is uh, provided by mortgage companies that have a agenda provided by title companies that have an agenda by home warranty companies that have an agenda and provided by, and that's, that's okay. That's what they do. You know, you went to my seminars, I'm going to tell you about investing in real estate. I'm not going to tell you about stocks and life insurance. I don't believe in it. So it's just to just understand that you got to understand where you're getting your education, who's training. If, if realtors or real estate sales professionals really understood the industry and what they could do and what is possible, I guarantee you, if you just follow my instructions and you left any industry and got into real estate as a salesperson, you just did what I told you, I could have you independently wealthy and probably three to four years be making so much money, you wouldn't have to sell real estate anymore. Mm -hmm. It's It would be a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm starting to feel that way. It's been a few years, but I'm starting, I'm, it's starting to become exactly what you're talking about with me. But the the difference is I, I actually, my personality, I, I love running my real estate team. Yeah. And I don't think I can give that up, but um, it, there does come a point where the investments are just more important than the real estate sales transactions. So the, the biggest pivotal thing that happened in my, my mindset that catapulted, that made a huge change in the way, uh, in, in opportunities is every property that comes in front of me, every single listing that someone comes to me says, Kevin, looking to sell it. I look at it for myself first. And that is I look at it and I say, you know what, Nick, you got brought me this condo you're looking to sell. And why are you looking to sell it? What do you want out of it? What's your goal? What are you looking to hit? What is, what's your long term? What terms are you hoping you'll get for it? Are you just looking to cash out? Would you ever be interested in seller financing anything creative? And then I'm going to analyze that deal. I'm going to look at it. Is it a good Airbnb? Could it make a good rental? Is there any kind of potential? And I'm going to comb that thing through first for myself. And then I'll come to you and I'll say, Nick, so here's the deal. Let me, and I, I preface this right up front. I say, Nick, here's the deal. I look at every piece of real estate as if I'm going to buy it. And if it looks like something I would, would you be offended if I made you an offer, no matter what it is? Would you be offended if I offered to buy your property if I thought it fit? Of course not. What's your offer? 
There you go. Well, you know what? I don't know. Let's take a look at it. Let's find out what you're looking to do. Then I'll go look at it. If it looks like something I'd buy, I make an offer. If not, I say, you know, you know what? It's a great property. You know, it has excellent potential. And here's what I think you can do. It's just not the right fit for me, but I'm happy to find the right. Now that I know what kind of person would be attracted to this property, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that I can help you be successful in selling it. Yeah. Right. And therefore, yeah. when I, I tell you what, someone comes to me, I had a little old lady with a duplex, uh, you know, a duplex downtown on the park strip who wanted to sell it because she was sick and tired of tenants. And I wasn't in a position to buy it right then. I just bought a 16 plex and I was flipping it. I was into it for about 150 grand. I don't know where else I had. I said, like, gosh, I don't quite have the resources right now to put 25, 30% down on this duplex. But gosh, this thing would make a great Airbnb. So I just said, hey, why are you selling it? Well, I'm sick of dealing with tenants. You know, I got this issue. It's like, what? and I said, well, is the only reason you're selling it because you're sick of dealing with tenants? She said, yep, I've done three evictions in a row. The thing hasn't made money in over a year. I said, I'll lease it from you. I'll lease the whole building. Will you give me a discount if you lease the whole building and I pay all utilities? What would you sell it for? She said, well, that is, I'll, I'll lease the whole building for 1500 bucks, which is dirt cheap. Okay. I said, great. Yeah. I'm going to sign a two-year lease. I'm going to lease it from you and I'm going to pay Everything like a triple net lease, pay you fifteen hundred, just like a commercial lease. I will pay everything out the door. You won't have to deal with squat. And I went in, I furnished it, and turned it into an Airbnb. And one unit upstairs makes me about twenty five hundred bucks a month. Just one unit. The unit downstairs I left vacant, and I stuck a house cleaner in it. And she gets that, and she does all the house cleaning on my Airbnbs in 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 return for getting free housing. And how many units again are there? There's two. So just one's making $1,500 a month and in Airbnb, and it's making $1,000 a month passive cash flow. Plus, I'm getting house cleaning on my other. But when you do the math on it, the building's probably making me around four grand a month. Wow. And here's the deal Do I own it? No. No. I control it. You control it. it. And she's happy as a clam yeah. because she owns it free and clear. And she's like, this is great. I don't deal with tenants. I love the little house. It was everything I loved in a property. I just hated dealing with tenants. So here's the idea. I just solved her problem. So that's where most realtors would have looked at this and said, oh, you're looking to sell it? Well, gosh, here, I'll put a price tag on it and let's sell it. Yeah, you found out what her motivation was. Her motivation, she, well, didn't, she didn't want to sell it. She was like, uh, she felt like she had to because she hated tenants. Once I showed her another way, great. And I'll tell you that, that those opportunities are out there all the time, but most of us get so focused in with blinders on that get a listing, sell it, get a listing, sell it. Now, who teaches you that? The brokerages. Why do the brokerages yep. teach you just to take listings and sell them? Because then they make money. There's no brokerage, no brokerage, no title company, no lender made money on this deal. The only person who made money was the seller, the owner, and me. So they'll never teach you those things. It's not because there's anything wrong. It's just because that's just the way the this way the business works, man. People usually teach to their to what's going to benefit them. Yeah, and so like this is where I'm saying that as investors, as you know, when you have an investment podcast, um, it there is a world of opportunity out there, and most people have just don't even know. And if anybody, and this is, you know, if anybody tells you that you don't have something because someone else does, avoid that person like the plague, okay? Because I'm here to tell you that there are so many deals and so many opportunities everywhere I go. I swear to God, I'm just like, how can, like, I'm swimming in them. I go into, I go on a road trip with my wife and we go and we stumble into little towns. I'm just amazed at just like, oh, look, you could do this. You could do that. You could. Here's what I would encourage anybody to do. If you want, if you want to like create an event, if you want to do a mindset, this, I think this is an exercise I did a long time ago and I, it was unintentional, but then it changed the complete way my brain was wired. And I started a journal and I called it the million dollar journal. And it was every day I had to think of a million dollar idea, right? Just a million dollar idea. What's a million dollar idea? Um, I don't know. I don't know. A cup holder, like a, a different design on a cup holder. Okay, a uh, different uh, like a, think of a tool. Think of just think of some way to solve a problem, a creative way on a sign, some sort of e-business. But like, what's a business or what's something I can create? Okay, because how are businesses created? They're created when you solve a problem. So every day, my million-dollar journal was what's something I could create or what's something I could patent that if, if it were done, somebody if, with the time and effort and energy would could turn this into a million-dollar problem-solving business. 
I literally would just journal like that. And I did it for a year and I have this huge thick journal, these, all these great ideas. But then it's funny after I got the course, pretty soon you just train yourself that you're constantly looking at how do I solve that problem and how do we make it a profitable business? Yeah. And then you have the problem that you want to do it all and there's not enough time in the day. And how do you focus your priorities? Right. <laughs> you know how you do, you know what that is? That's, uh, that's upgrading your sphere. Because eventually you're going to surround yourself with other people who have resources and abilities that you don't. So when you're like, and you come to them and you have your group of trusted advisors, you're like, I just thought of this awesome idea. And they're like, oh, I love that idea. And who do you know? I know a guy. And next thing you know, because problem solvers surround themselves with problem solvers. And then you re- then the ball really gets rolling. I will tell you, you know, the, the, the group of individuals I, I'm, I'm blessed to know who literally have, you know, millions of dollars they could invest in a project. You would think that, you know, by reading the news and seeing what's out there, they're Scrooge McDucking their money. They're walking around with a scowled, uh, you know, face, and they're just like fun stomping stuff and hoarding. They're not. The individuals that I've surrounded myself that have abundant wealth and the ability to do this are some of the most generous, philanthropic, wildly optimistic, funny individuals you've ever met. They are like just, and they're just wicked smart. Uh, they love to, just like a normal human being. If they can't, they go do karaoke, they go do like stuff that you would never know. You would never know that guy owns a house free and clear and has uh, 500 rental units and a house in Maui because you want to know what? He drives a Subaru, he drives a pickup truck. They're just, it's funny, but there's a misconception over wealth uh, that has been propagated by individuals who, who are making money from you thinking you can't do it. Yeah, I I have to agree. I mean, the, my favorite private money lender that I use, he's he's worth millions, and he drives this ugly little white car around. You just described him to a T, though. He's funny, really smart, great person, very charitable. Well, well, think about that. If you were a grumpy uh, pain in the butt who um, made everybody's life difficult, is anybody going to do business with you? No. Like, don't no. just go do business with someone they like, right? And so, like. You, you got to understand that those individuals who've amassed wealth and do that, they're, they're fun. And they, you know, uh, they care about the people. They like solving problems. They're also, you know, you, you give them a challenge and they're happy to help you solve it. I had a meeting this morning. I spent two hours with a, some hotel developers and I had a client that has a lot that he wants to sub, uh, replat, uh, build a big hotel on. We've been talking to a hotel chain about it. That's a big deal. So I said, I don't know any, I, like, I've never done hotel development, but I know somebody who has. Let's call him. Dude, he gave us two hours of his time. Here's who you want to call. This is what you're going to do. This is how you form your PPM. This is like, you know, for a hotel, it's different than a normal one. And I was like, well, what are you? He's like, no, man, I'm just happy to help. Yeah. So it's a different environment. And I'm here to tell everybody, and I hope I just, you know, anybody out there that's feeling as if there's an our, us versus them, it's not. Okay, that there are some wonderful, wonderful people out there and everything I've done, I've done because other people helped me or they knew more because I didn't I didn't recreate the wheel. I'm just an extension of other knowledge and experiences that other people have been through. Don't think that those that that it's not possible. Just go seek out and be curious and you'd be surprised at who will give you a moment of their time and help you out. You really would. Oh, yeah. Couldn't agree more. All right, cool. Well, just before. So before we go. I just want to ask you some more questions about your businesses. So you've got you've got seven yeah. right now, you said, right, that are active? That I can call off the top of my head. Okay, so yes, I have the... Out of those, what, what would you say is the worst that you wouldn't recommend anybody doing? Well, it's not the worst. So, okay, one is, uh, there's two that are require more effort than others. One is owning a, a contracting company. Um, okay, and that is I've tried that. I got to agree. <laughs> it's just a, it's just talent i mean in in our in our market um it, there's a real shortage of really good talent and if you want top tier help you're gonna have to pay them 35 40 bucks an hour if you're paying 25 bucks an hour 20 dollars an hour that's subpar for a sheet rocker painter guy and he's gonna be it's just tough you want to bite the you just have to pay which means that you better have some big jobs lined out and you better like be able to keep them working full time you got to have enough work that they're doing 40 hours a week at least and making $35 an hour because they're not getting a full week then they're going to go do something else and go work for someone so i mean contracting business it's nice when you own apartment buildings cuz rather than paying 60 90 80 you know $100 an hour to have a guy go do something i have my own crew 
Yeah. So there's a benefit there. But then when my businesses are running smooth, I better pick up a side job for them to go do for a client or something. And it's just a lot of work. So I've gone out and bought rehab flippers just so they have a job. Like one that I'm like, well, I, I don't think I'll make any money on it. I'll probably break even, but at least my guys will be working full time and I have something so they're never laid off. Right. Think about that. I actually yeah. went and bought a building just so that if things got slow, I'd say, go work on that. And then, you know, like, and then I don't lose money because if they, if I don't have hours for him, I'd say, well, we don't have anything today. Go home. Then the minute he goes home, he's checking, he's checking Craigslist for a job to pay. So when it's contracting, the two is Airbnbs because Airbnbs are a lot of work. They're a lot of money, but they're way more work than I thought going in. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that is once you get, listen, getting them operating, you need to understand even with two full-time house cleaners, cleaning the units and making sure my units are great. You know, you got someone that checks out at 11 and somebody's moving in at five and your house cleaner gets the flu. Guess what you do? You go clean house. Your house cleaner. <laughs> your house cleaner. <laughs> because if that person, if that place isn't clean and they show up, it's going to affect your five-star rating and your star rating on those sites is critical. Yeah. So like it really is powerful. So do you so have like, like a, do you have backup cleaners then or backups to yeah, backups? I do. I I do, but here's the deal. Like, you know, Sunday, I, I've like in the last six months, I've last six months I've had to do that twice. And I'm like, dude, I'm not a $20 an hour guy, but I'm stuck doing a $20 an hour job right now and I'm not happy. Yeah. But sometimes you just got to do it. But that happens even on my long term rentals. I have stuff where, like, I can't, I'm trying to get hold of my contractor to come check out and I've got a client saying there's water somewhere and I got to go run out there and take a look at it. But the Airbnbs um, are a lot of work. I do enjoy it because I love having really attractive properties. I mean, there's some sort of pride and ownership. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't have a contracting company, if I didn't have house cleaners, if I didn't have the infrastructure, I probably wouldn't do it. Okay. Got it. I'd be like, I, I think I think owning a bunch of investment properties and having that leverage, but I would not, I would not go, I'm going to go Airbnb first. And then like, it might work. And it probably, and I know other people have done it. I just found out it was a lot, a lot more laborious and, and uh, labor intensive than I anticipated going in. Okay. Well, so do you have any other recommendations um, before we go for, and, and this, this podcast is more geared towards a real estate agent who's also an investor. If you're a real estate agent, you, you need to immerse yourself in opportunity zones and you need to understand what they are and how they work. Opportunity zones. Okay. So here's what people need to understand. If they understood what opportunity zones do and the tax law under 2017 and what that's going to do to our economy, this is, this is huge. The amount of private equity that is going into these areas that have been designated by the federal government's opportunity zones is so huge. It's mind boggling. Okay. Um, that should be a show in and of all its own. This is, by the way, going to have massive positive financial ramifications for the United States for decades to come. And, and, and I'm so pissed off that the news media has, does not recognize this. And they cherry pick one or two developments that are higher end, that affect rich people that are wealthy areas that happen to be just barely outside an opportunity zone. But when you understand how these opportunity zones work and what investors can do within them and the cash flow they can make and the fact that you can do accelerated depreciation. So for like 10 years, you're making tax free money and then you keep 100 percent of the game tax free. Like when you see what opportunity zones will do for an investor, your head will spin and you'll be why the hell are not more people doing what do people need to do to check that out? What's the first step? Did they just Google opportunity zones in, in your area? Or is there a, is there a website yep, that you, you recommend? Can go to, uh, you can go to the federal government site. You can see what it is. There's a bunch of YouTube videos on it. But they are areas that were established as low-income areas. They're all over the United States. We have five of them in Anchorage. And they allow an individual to take short-term capital gains money that would be subject to taxation. Let's say I go and flip a property and I make 150000 on this property. Okay. Well, I would normally have to pay probably a 30 or 40% tax rate on it because it's short-term gains. And so I don't get depreciation. I don't get a lot of benefit. Plus I have other money. So now I'm, I'm, I'm a top tier uh, income earner. And so my taxes are going to go way up and allows me to take that money. And as long as I buy a property in an opportunity zone, I use that money within 180 days of realizing the gain. I don't pay taxes on that money in that year. In fact, I can defer it out seven years. Don't pay taxes. So I can okay. take my money. Think of it like a 1031. 
that allows you to sell stocks and bonds and stuff and put it into real estate in these areas and not pay taxes on it. Okay. Well, in seven years, provided I still own the property, I still pay taxes, but my, but my basis is reduced by 15%. But in the meantime, here's what happens. You buy a property in these distressed areas, then you have 30 months to double the base cost basis of the real estate. Okay. That means if I bought a property for $400,000 and the land is worth 100000 you pull the land out of the price, that means the building is 300000 If I put $300,000 into that property and double it, Okay, within 30 months, I've, I've, I've done a qualified opportunity zone purchase. Okay, so then I can then I own it for seven years. I don't pay. Then I gotta I gotta claim that short gain uh, that short term gain that comes due with a 15 percent reduction. But if I own it more than 10, 100 percent of my long term capital gains, my equity increase, my debt pay down, all tax exempt. Not a 1031. Gotcha. Not okay. anything. Meanwhile, during that mm-hmm. 10 years, because I increased the cost basis 100%, meaning that the building was worth, you know, 100,000, I put another 100,000 into it, you are able to do, you're going to do a, your depreciation schedule on your cash flow is going to be so high that, you know, as you're making cash flow from this property, you're, you're probably not going to pay any taxes on it. I mean, you're going to be able to depreciate you know, the substantial improvements you've made. So for 10 years, you'll be paying close to zero taxes on your, on your, on your cash flow. And then after 10 years, you're able to keep 100% of the equity and sell it. Now, you don't have to sell it after 10. You can hold it up to 2046. But you have like another 20 years, you can hold that and sell it and pay zero taxes. You don't have to 1031. You can sell it and take half the proceeds and put it in another piece of real estate or uh, 25% put it in your pocket and take 25 and go stick it in retirement. Like you do whatever you want. But here's what's amazing about this. Like when you really analyze it, I want you to think about these areas because they're like 98% of them are in distressed areas. This is part of the reason that unemployment, by the way, and um, is so low, particularly black unemployment and why they're seeing jobs in these areas. Because as people are buying, as private equity and capital, is being poured into these areas. It is creating prosperity. Okay, places are getting rejuvenated. They're improving the basis because the best deals are either development, new construction, or just the crappiest building on the street. So then, guys with lots of money, no tax. This this is not a federal government program. This is not the government doing this. This is people with equity, with a history of development, going into areas, buying the worst properties, turning them around, cleaning them up. Working with municipalities to improve street light, make it clean, nice, because they want to make money on it for 10 years, and then they want to have a good asset, strong asset they can sell after 10 tax-free. And they're rejuvenating these areas, you know, reducing crime, you know, providing uh, commercial opportunities, revitalizing areas. It's amazing. It's something the federal government could never do, never do as effectively yeah. as private capital. And it's just getting started. Like the projects I've seen and the ones that have been, that have been proposed to me are are life changing to these areas. And as real estate investors, you want to know where these areas are because these are areas that are going to be substantially improving over time. And so you're going to see values increasing. You're going to see rent races, rent uh, prices going up because when they improve all the areas, they improve the tenant quality and they improve street lighting and they make them all beautiful. Like, gotta know where that is. So as realtors who uh, or real estate salespeople, you've got to know the economics and how that affects it because it helps you project long-term values, vacancy rates, investment opportunities. And it's awesome. So I would tell anybody, if you're not researching opportunity zones and you don't know what it is, uh, stop what you're doing as soon as this podcast is over and go research right now. All right. Perfect. And I, since you've been talking, I actually pulled one up right in my area. I had no idea. I like this. I like exactly where this zone is. <laughs> yeah. And so interesting stuff. It's and so, you know, and you would be really surprised um, at uh, what you can do with them. Next, you need to educate yourself on how to create an opportunity zone fund and different things. But I, I think that's the next huge wave over the next probably, you know, seven years. Um, I'm suspecting that opportunity zones are going to be massive. Uh, you're going to see tons of private equity. I already know of several that are multi-million dollar projects um, and all over the country, all over the country. Yeah, they're, they're great. They're just yeah, just be aware. All right. So if you're a real estate agent out there and an investor, stay away from internet leads, right? 
Um, don't make that the base of your business and uh, get immersed in opportunity zones and our, your local investor community. Yeah. Build relationships. Uh, you know, here's the thing. You don't need a database of 30,000 people. No, definitely not. You need 50 people that you love and appreciate and who love and appreciate you back. And if those 50 people are your close personal friends, you and with 50 people, you could contact and call each one of them once a week just to see how they're doing, take an interest in their family and who they are as a human being, knowing that that person, one in seven, will either buy or sell their house with you in the next year, and the rest will probably refer you business because they love you. And you don't need a giant database of 30,000 people, and you don't need to stick your face in the side of a bus. What you need is meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. Period. Couldn't have said it better. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Do you got anything else you want to relay to people before we go? No, it's just, it's just again, it's a world of opportunity. Um, don't get discouraged, right? There are days that are frustrating. We all have those. But I'm here to tell you that there's more sunshine than there is rain. Awesome. Well, you are uh, you're a legend, man. I appreciate you being here. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate you. Appreciate your hard work. Thanks for thanks for educating people. Yeah, and if anybody wants to get in contact with you, how do they reach you? Yeah, you can just reach me at Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, at alaskarex.com, alaskarex.com. Or you can call me at 907-529-2289. Yeah, if you're uh, an empire builder, if you got a great deal, you have an investment opportunity, um, you know, I would love to hear about it. Awesome. All right. Appreciate it. Well, you have a great day, yep. and thanks for being here. All right. Thanks, Nick. All right. Good one.